and to praise God for all that he has done for us and to think of it. He is actively at work. He is working in our midst and we see his fingerprints and we see not only in the great and grand things that God has done, but we see him in even the small details and it evokes praise from his people. Let's pray right now. Lord, what a delight it is to gather in homes all throughout this county and this country to worship you this morning. And we're asking that the praises of you would just resound throughout our community and throughout the world. As we exalt you, the living God, we worship you and we praise you even in the midst of the storm. And we're asking now, Lord, that as we turn to your word, we're praying that you, through the working of your Holy Spirit, would give us great grace to understand that you would fill our mind with understanding, that you would accomplish your work in our hearts and bring transformation. We ask this as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to continue our series of looking at kingdom living in a broken world. And I want you to know this is exactly what we need in this time. Those who are disciples of Jesus, who are living and following and expressing the values of the kingdom, that we not only know them, but we actually share them and that we show them. And I want you to know this is what is needed in the midst of this pandemic. Those who are followers of Christ, sharing the gospel and showing it, And when you come to Matthew chapter 5, this great sermon on the mount, and especially these introductory verses known as the Beatitudes, it tells us exactly how to do this. And not only is it needed in the midst of this pandemic with all the hurt and the uncertainty and the problems this is creating, all the strife and human souls and just even what's taking place in our economy, but also in the midst of all the issues surrounding the breakdown in our society the hurt that exists, the racial tensions, the misunderstandings, the, the pain that has been gone, going on even for generations, so that we don't come apart as the, at the seams. What is needed is that God's people, in God's grace, would express the values and the traits of what it means to know Jesus and to be the solution, a part of what God is doing to bring about hope and healing to our world. And so I want you to know that what we're going to, we're talking about as we look at kingdom living and what it means to be a citizen of the king, this is what your spouse is looking for. Your kids, your extended family, your neighbors, your coworkers. What's needed in our schools are people that embrace the values of the kingdom and in the strength of Christ they live them out. And that is especially true with what we look at today. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, where Jesus gives these revolutionary words when he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, we're familiar with the word mercy, but let's just make sure that we've got a working definition of it. Mercy means a compassionate response to one who is in need. It embraces not only giving forgiveness to the guilty, but extending help and compassion, care and concern 
for those who are needy, or for those who are helpless. And Jesus says that you are blessed. Blessed are the merciful. The word blessed, it comes from the Latin beatus, to means happy. It, to be blessed is not only to have the ability to experience God's goodness, but to be able to extend it to others, to express it to others. And if you want to experience joy, happiness, Jesus says you want to be merciful. If you don't have a lot of happiness, a lot of joy in your life, you're not really experiencing God's goodness in your life like you'd like to, perhaps it comes down that this is what is missing. Mercy. All of us, if you are a true follower of Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are a disciple of the King, we're on a journey of mercy. And that's certainly true in my life. Growing up, um, mercy wasn't something that was emphasized so much as you're going to get what you deserve. Do you, can you relate to that? It's kind of like, you know, what you've done, there are consequences for your actions. And indeed, there are. Please don't misunderstand me. But mercy really didn't feature too much in my development. But I want you to know that since I placed my faith in Christ when I was in college, it's been a slow and gradual journey of heart transformation, of learning what it means to be merciful. And I want you to know there's a lot of work to be done, but I'm on the journey. And you, as a follower of Christ, you're on that journey as well. And I want you to know that when Jesus uttered these words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, when he said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, this was radical and revolutionary. Because in the time of Jesus and in the early church, mercy wasn't valued. It was actually despised. Let me take you back 2,000 years. And in the Roman Empire, I want you to know that mercy was seen, according to even like one of their, their top philosophers, as a disease of the soul. Mercy was seen as weakness. And the one thing that the Romans absolutely did not want to be was weak. The mercy, what, what Rome valued was absolute power, strict discipline, justice. The idea of showing mercy or compassion to the needy or acts of forgiveness, it was absolutely dismissed as weakness. In fact, most of the population was seen as worthless certainly not valued universally as people made in the image of God and all people should receive dignity, you need to understand that it was a harsh world and mercy really had no role in it whatsoever. And so during much of the Roman Empire, for instance, uh, they had the father of a family had the right called Patria Potestas. And he had the right to determine, like for instance, if he and his wife should have a child, if that child should live. I know it sounds really barbaric, but let me just tell you what this even looked like so you understand a little bit of the culture. Once a child was born into a family, it was presented to the father, and the father could either put thumbs up, meaning that that child would live, or he could say, nah, I don't want this child. This isn't what, quite what I wanted. Thumbs down. And that child will then, would then immediately be drowned. 
Its modern-day equivalent is abortion in our land. Mercy simply didn't have a place in a Roman society. In fact, um, uh, there were those who had this right. If they had slaves, they could have them killed for any reason. In fact, such a man could even actually have his own wife killed. I want you to know that mercy did not feature. In fact, it wasn't valued. It wasn't experienced. And it most certainly wasn't expressed. And that was throughout the Roman Empire. It was a harsh climate. You liked absolute power and authority. Mercy was a weakness. In fact, you'd run from it. And you'd despise anyone that even think about practicing it. But even among the Jewish religion, lead, religion leaders, uh, they were so caught up often in self-righteousness and pride. I want you to know that if you're a self-righteous, judgmental, critical spirit person, mercy probably doesn't feature in your life because the two really can't coexist in the human heart. And so when Jesus calls his disciples to him and he makes this statement that we find recorded in Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This was something they had absolutely never considered. I will tell you that a society that despises mercy will suffer from disunity and brutality. A society that does not value mercy will suffer from disunity and brutality. It's always been the case. And so here in this midst of this world that might cry out for justice, and it's actually ingrained in us, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You get what you deserve. Jesus makes this radical statement about mercy, and it shows us the magnificence of mercy when he said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So why is mercy magnificent? Well, let me give you three reasons. One, mercy is the means by which we know God. It's so powerful. You see, God sees the extreme hurt and the brokenness because of sin within humanity. And so he actually expresses mercy by the sending of Jesus who pays the penalty of sin and dies in the place of sinners to not only give them forgiveness of sins, but he does this as an expression of his mercy. He sees the great need And he provides not only the compassion, but the forgiveness. And he sends his son, a plan that he had put together before the beginning of time to express the depth of his character and to reconcile lost individuals and bring them into his kingdom, into a saving knowledge, into a joyful relationship, a relationship that would be categorized as being blessed. This is how God works. And I want you to know that that the mercy that he's talking about here you can't, well, you can't say, like, well, if I'm merciful, then I'm going to receive God's mercy. Saving mercy could never be earned. The mercy that he's talking about here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, is the mercy that comes, that sustaining mercy that God gives us in our life. When we express it, God continues to give us the ability to be even more merciful to others. 
And it's also speaking of a future mercy, that mercy in which we will enter into the eternal kingdom, that we will be with God forever. We enter into eternity and we will not only see him face to face, but we will reign with Christ. We will be with him forever, enjoying the splendors and the majesty of all that he has created. That is this upcoming future mercy. And so those who know Christ are to be merciful. He actually works mercy in their life. And one day they will receive the ultimate mercy of being together with him forever in his kingdom. And I want you to know that mercy reveals who God is and how he loves. Mercy reveals who God is and how he loves. And the most merciful person is Jesus. He is the God-man, the one who's existed throughout all eternity. He enters into humanity, and he is the ultimate expression of mercy. He is mercy incarnate. And as you read through the gospel accounts, the first four books of the New Testament, and you see Jesus and his ministry and what he did in his three years of public ministry, it's, it could be categorized by this one word, mercy. Do you remember how many times people would call out those who were crippled, those who could not see? They would bring people who were deaf or blind to Jesus those who had a friend or a family member who was demon-possessed, what is it that they would say? Lord, have mercy on me. Or, son of David, have mercy. And so that's exactly what Jesus expressed. So that you and I would really know the heart of God. We see Jesus, and he's expressing mercy after mercy after mercy. I want you to know that people are drawn to those who express mercy. That's why tax collectors and prostitutes and those who are engaged in all sorts of evil and immorality, they were drawn to Jesus, not because he overlooked their sin, but because he expressed mercy, love, understanding, and he presented to them how they could experience healing, wholeness, life, forgiveness. I want you to know that Jesus is the ultimate expression of mercy. That's why he would weep at the grave of Lazarus. He would show compassion to those who need, to the lonely. He would engage with friendship, and he continues to do such great works. Why? Because he is merciful. In fact, if you really want to understand the cross, why? Why would Jesus do that? Not only, we think of the the physical implications of being crucified and horrific that would be and all the, the pain and the torture, but even far greater than that would be to actually bear the sins of humanity in your body and to pay for them all. Do you know that some of Jesus' final words on the cross were words of mercy? Like you find in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, where were on the cross. Jesus uttered these words on multiple occasions. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Friends, that's mercy. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Why would Jesus do this? 
because he is looking to bring every single individual, those who are his, to bring them into a personal relationship with himself. This has literally captured the heart of Peter, one of Jesus' key disciples. And in fact, he writes about it. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, <laughs> there it is, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And like, also like Paul would write about in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, it says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. One will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone might dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What's that? That's mercy. Friends, I'll tell you why mercy is so magnificent. Because it is the means by which we know God. Let me give you another reason, though. Mercy moves God's people to action. You see, we who know and experience God's mercy in our life, we have actually been redeemed. We know Jesus. He intends that we are going to express mercy in the lives of others. That's why he's telling his disciples, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We're, we are called and empowered by Christ to express acts of kindness and compassion. We have the ability, because we have been forgiven, to forgive others. I'm not saying that it's easy. In fact, it'll probably require supernatural strength, but that's exactly what God provides so that we will be merciful. And don't you value mercy in your life, especially when you're on the wrong? I mean, let me have you think back to school, and some of you are like you're in school right now. You ever had that time where, like, you slept through a test or um, you failed to turn your homework in time? And all of a sudden now, you're a big believer and proponent of mercy, right? And you, you go to your teacher like, oh, <laughs> you know, I, I slept in or I didn't finish this. Can I turn it in late? And they don't have to. I mean, obviously, everybody else had to follow the rules and finish on time and turn things in when they're supposed to be or show up for the test. But maybe there was that occasion where the teacher said, you know what? I'm going to give you mercy and I'm going to let you turn it in late or I'm going to let you take the tests here a little bit later. I want you to know, like, I've experienced that on multiple occasions. We, uh, we really become big believers in mercy, like when we have the experience of being pulled over, right, by the police. So, for instance, like, you kind of, like, rolled through a stop sign. I mean, there wasn't anybody there. How in the world did that police officer see me? All of a sudden, you got the lights going on, uh, and you're pulling over. And, I mean, you just have that adrenaline go through your system, and you're like, oh. And all of a sudden, your new life verse is Matthew 5, 7, right? And you're really hoping, and you may even start praying, that that would be the officer's life verse, and they're just going to let you go. Now, the officer has every right, if you violated the law, to write you a ticket. That's how it works. You must have law and order. But when the officer says, you know, I'm going to give you a warning here. You know what that is? That's mercy. It should fill you with gratitude. We're familiar with those things. We love to experience them. 
Let me give you an example. Chuck Colson, years ago, in one of his radio broadcasts, talked about an event that took place at a U.S. triage facility that was doing its best to save the lives of two Iraqi insurgents. Now, this team had done everything to save the lives of these two men. They were enemy combatants, warriors, soldiers that were out to destroy them, but they were deeply injured. In fact, one was so injured that he needed 30 pints of blood to make it. And so at that triage center, they sent a call out saying, blood is absolutely needed now. This is an emergency if we're going to save this man's life. And quickly, as that word went out, dozens of U.S. soldiers got in line to donate blood. There was a a journalist that was actually observing this, and the very first guy in line was a battle-hardened guy by the name of Brian. And the reporter asked him, as he's standing in line getting ready to donate blood, if it mattered to him that he was giving blood to an enemy soldier. And this is what Brian replied, a human life is a human life. Friend, that's mercy unexpected compassion toward a person in need. And that's what God is looking to do. He is looking to manifest mercy in the lives of his people, that we would be moved to action and to express it. And when we show God's mercy, I want you to know that God's character is on display. I mean, it's, it's tremendous. Our soul is satisfied when we express mercy. That's what this text tells us. Blessed, happy, joyful are those who are merciful. You're not only going to receive mercy, but there is something that takes place in our souls. You've known this. Remember the two different times, perhaps it was even this week, where you expressed mercy to someone? There's something that takes place within you, a joy an understanding, a profound sense of like, this is how life is meant to be lived. God's power flowing through me, his character being manifested in my life. And we are on a journey of mercy. And you're saying like, I think I need to grow in this area. I find that I do. Let me tell you what I've found to be helpful. The journey of mercy is going to take, first of all, honesty with yourself. Honesty for your need for mercy, especially, especially if you're one of like, well, you just get what you deserve kind of person. Uh, uh, everything's got to be fair. Uh, think of all the times that you've needed mercy. Think especially of the mercy that you need from God in the past, at present, and I can assure you, in the future. But also then, look at even some of the deep-seated issues in your heart. Why do you behave at times judgmental with a critical spirit? Why are you always sizing people up and kind of even thinking, well, they get what they deserve? You need to be honest with yourself and ask God to help you work through those issues. But second of all, you need to have humility before God. When God is first... His priorities have a way of showing up in our life. And so it's like, God, just fill me, fill me with your spirit, use me, and see yourself as yielded as a servant of God. And then the third thing you're going to need is you're going to need a heart for people. 
Some of you, it's, uh, this, this is just kind of your natural bent. You love people, you like to be by people, and you want to help people, but that's not everybody. So ask God, would you give me a heart for people? You do these things, and in the strength of God, you find yourself growing in humility. You find yourself on this journey of mercy. And I really encourage you, as you go through the emptying process of life, you know how life has a way of just breaking you down and bringing you to your knees, and it's just like, I feel like there's nothing left. Let God fill you, fill you with his love, and you become this vessel fit for his honorable use, the honorable use of mercy. And go to Jesus. I mean, not only is he mercy incarnate, but do you know that he continues to give mercy to his people? Ask him. He is the great teacher. We're his disciples. He'll teach you. He'll train you. He's merciful. He's kind. He's patient, which is a good thing for guys like me. But he is training us to be merciful. In fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, he is our merciful and faithful high priest. And in later in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we draw near to God. We ask him for mercy. I can assure you on the sure truth of God's word, Jesus will give you the ability to be merciful. And that's what the world is looking for. To provide food for the hungry. To provide compassion and care for the lonely and the hurting. For those who have wronged us, the offender, in God's strength to give forgiveness. You see, mercy is one of the most loveliest of virtues I don't know if you've ever read the book of Jude. It's like right next to the book of Revelation. It's the second to last book in the Bible. It's oftentimes overlooked, but one of its great themes is mercy. And in Jude chapter 20, uh, and Jude, excuse me, Jude only has one chapter. In verse 20, he talks about like we're praying in the Holy Spirit. But then in verses 21 and following, he says this, keep yourselves in the love of God. What an important statement. Keep yourself in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. That's that future mercy. That's exactly what Jesus is speaking about in Matthew 5, 7. But listen to what he says. And have mercy on some who are doubting. You know, the people are like, well, I'm this great skeptic, or I've just got a lot of questions about God, and, and, and they're all on some sort of spectrum of, of unbelief or just questioning or just not sure. What do you, how do we respond? Here it is. Have mercy on some who are doubting. And he says, save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. There's people with doubts, but there's some people that are just in great danger, and they may not even know it. They're blowing up their life and wrecking their relationships. They're engaging in immorality. They're involved in things that are going to really have significant consequences in the lives of others, but especially in their life. And he says, how do you respond to these people? With mercy. It's like you're reaching out with the love of Christ. God is working through his people. And you know how he does it? He does it through mercy. You see, as kingdom citizens, as disciples of Jesus, we're to be building bridges of trust and, and mercy 
and we do it one person at a time. And I want to encourage you, think of it that way. Yes, you're merciful as a general characteristic, but let's get specific. One person at a time. So for instance, in the midst of this pandemic that we have and all the problems that are there, have you reached out just to one person, just one, to see how you could be helpful, how you might be able to provide for a need, get some groceries, help with some situation, or just to listen? God has us on a journey of mercy. Um, In the midst of the racial hurt that is occurring and has been around for so long, find someone who's different from you, from a different race, and ask them about a little bit about their story and about their experiences. Listen, learn, understand, love. What it is, it's mercy. And for those difficult and broken relationships, and we all have them, right? Instead of just ignoring it, living as if it doesn't exist, and yet obviously having that gnawing sense like something's not right, ask God, would you help me grow in mercy? Help me to express mercy, even if it won't be received like I might want. Forgive the offender and reach out to those who are offensive with their behavior. And you do so as an expression of God's mercy. You see, mercy is magnificent. In fact, you'll be blessed when you express it. So we see that God's mercy is magnificent because not only is it our means to know God, it, is, it moves us to take action, but mercy is magnificent because it will be magnified in eternity. Mercy is the music of heaven. It is going to be the refrain of the redeemed. It is the chorus of all those who love Christ. We are going to, for eternity, be worshiping God and expressing the reality that you are merciful and you have worked mercy in your people. I know you're familiar with Ephesians chapter 2, but do you know that it points to the reality of the celebration of God's mercy throughout all eternity? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, but God listen to this, being rich in mercy. Maybe you've missed that. You just kind of kept going to like, oh, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You see, what we're going to celebrate and sing in heaven is the mercy of God and it'll lead to worship. Friends, if you have never placed your faith in Christ, and you want the glorious future of being forgiven and to know God and to experience God forever, what you want to do is put your faith and trust in him now. Historian Rodney Stark, in his book, The Triumph of Christianity, argues this. There was one huge factor that helped capture the attention of the ancient world, Christianity's revolutionary emphasis on mercy. Friends, that's what we need. As kingdom citizens living in a broken world, 
we need to be experiencing and expressing God's mercy. We need to know God's mercy because that's what gives us salvation. That can never be earned. It's a free gift. But we need to be expressing God's mercy. And God will sustain us and give us the strength to do so. And we need to be living with the expectation, the magnificent reality that mercy is the music of heaven, and we can't wait to get there. But what we need right now, in this present time, in this age, are kingdom citizens living and expressing mercy. In 2007, there was a horrific event that took place. The last thing that this young woman, LaShonda Calloway, saw before she died were people that were just literally stepping over her. She had been accosted at a 7-Eleven, and she had been stabbed multiple times. And in the midst of this convenience store, she is lying there on the floor and bleeding out. The, the cameras that they had in the store in, this, in Wichita, Kansas, at this particular 7-Eleven, recorded at least five people that you know, were going to get in their snacks and their beef jerky and whatnot, stepping over her or walking by her as she was on the ground. Now, I do want to point out that one person actually did stop. In fact, they actually got down closer to her, but only because they were taking a picture with her, a selfie, and using their phone and the camera that is in it. It was horrific. It was, according to the police spokesman, Gordon Basham, Basham, he said this. It was tragic to watch, as he was referring to the recordings that they saw. The fact that people were more interested in taking a picture with a cell phone and shopping for snacks than helping this innocent young woman is frankly revolting. The Wichita police chief, Norman Williams, had even stronger words. That's crazy. What happened to our respect for life. Friends, when we see people made in the image of God, the dignity of every human life at every stage of development, when we see that, we are moved to mercy. We will express compassion because we see people made in the image of God, and we will express care and concern. That's what Jesus is after. You remember one of Jesus' most famous parables. I know it's so familiar to you, but I want you to hear the words as if you were hearing them from Jesus uttered for the very first time. When he said, you know, there was a man that was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him, and they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite also. And when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. I mean, wait a second. These are like the religious leaders in Judaism. They're probably actually like having just done their work at the temple, and they kind of pass by. We don't know why. Um, Maybe they're like, oh, you know, I really got to get home. I told my wife I would be home at 5 o'clock for dinner tonight. Or maybe... Maybe they were worried like, whoa, something bad happened to this guy. You know, like if I stop here, maybe I'll be accosted. (laughs) Wouldn't want that. Got to think about keeping myself safe. Or maybe it was just 
the hardness of a human heart. I just uh, don't want to involve myself with that. I mean, it's possible. This wasn't the thinking of a lot of religious leaders that you get what you deserve. This person's experiencing God's judgment. Don't want to get involved with that. I think I'll let him be. But you know that um, there was another person that passed by. It says there was a Samaritan who was on a journey. And he came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Something's different in this guy. And he came to him, and he bandaged up his wounds and pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I'll repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, well, the guy said, well, the one who showed mercy to him. Listen to what Jesus said. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You see, it's mercy in our hearts that allows us to express compassion for the hurting. You see, mercy manifests God's character and it moves us to action. Let me give you one unforgettable story of God's mercy and action. It took place October 18th, 2013 in Buffalo, New York. We actually even have pictures that were taken on people's phones to record this. There is a 37-year-old man by the name of Darnell Barton. He was driving a bus filled with high school students over a bridge when he spotted a young woman perched on the wrong side of a guardrail. Sensing something wasn't right, Barton slowed to the side of the busy arterial, and he opened the bus door. And from a seat behind the steering wheel, the driver, he called to the woman, asking her if she was okay. But when the young woman looked at Barton, she didn't respond. So what Darnell did is he left the bus, and he approached her, and Barton told the Buffalo News, quote, she turned back to look at me, and then back at the traffic. And that's when I kind of lunged and got my left arm around her body. And then Barton proceeded to talk to her and convinced her to come back over the guardrail. And he helped her over it, guiding her with his large arms. And then together, they sat on the pavement. Now, a surveillance cam camera shows a pedestrian, a bicyclist, going by the distraught woman without stopping to help. But Barton, who acknowledges that he grew up in church, he said he could hear his mother's voice in his head prompting him to do the right thing. And as a result, he gave her some encouraging words as the two conversed, him just holding her, and he waited and talked to this gal until the first responders came. Barton told this reporter, quote, The Bible says... We're to be ready in season and out of season. You've got to be ready. If you've got time to do anything, 
You've got time to do the right thing. When Barton got back on the bus, all those high school students stood up and gave him a standing ovation. Then he finished his route, he wrote up his report, and he went home. Darnell's nickname is Big Country. That's because he's got a big heart. And if you want a picture of mercy, this is it. You see, mercy manifests God's character, and it moves us to action. And friends, this is the vision that God is giving us, that we are kingdom citizens, and we're on a journey of mercy. And this is what our broken world is looking for. Let's pray. Lord.